0: James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude?
1: Well, to be honest, uh,
0: I'm all colors of the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I am just beige. Like, seriously, <laughs> I'm only one color, and it's like the drivest color ever. Um, I remember oh. that. Um, what's that movie? What, what color is you? What's your favorite color? Like fluorescent beige, which is like, a, you know, oxymoron or something, which I thought was quite uh, good. Uh,
1: never heard of that. I was trying to think of what is the blandest, like pastel or, but like. Beige. just, yeah beige, beige I word.
0: think yeah be- beige great yeah it's beige um all right welcome to Cloud's where James and I talk about a topic uh, and today we're talking about management styles as in people management but these are often similar uh to teacher styles as in a teacher and parenting so the model that we're going to go through and we'll explain in a minute has five different types of styles um now obviously these are not the only five and you can be you know, on different days, different things. Um, but it's, I think a nice framework to begin with and it gives you an ability to sort of start to see yourself and others. And then if you can describe things better than before, you can normally understand them better than before and then you can start to affect things. But anyways, first of all, I wanted to ask you, James, do you think you have style? Do
1: I think I have style? Of course I have style. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, it's, uh, yeah. Well, if I like, and so like, but would you think you have a management style? Oh, okay. So, I'll I I say so. five years ago. Just gonna job being like, no, because I wasn't aware of management styles to talk about. Does that make sense? Yep. Whereas, if you describe someone's fashion style, you've been doing that since day dot. You know, nerds, whatever. Yep. And so, to me, it's kind of ridiculous. I think to not have understood that you probably have a management style, or that there are different mm. management styles. It's not just good mm. managers and bad managers. You know, there's there's lots more
1: so um, an interesting thought piece I came across one time was if you if you if you ask a question which is in this case do you have a style and your answer is always changing then you're not going to the lower the right level of ab- abstraction so if you say like I'm changing my style of management every day then you need to go to the next level down to think about well what makes you change your approach every day well I believe in you know managing the individual or managing to mm-hmm. Um, the relevant situation. Okay, so is that your style? Well, well, no, maybe blah, blah, blah. And so you just keep going down and down. And so what I think is maybe this isn't the right answer, but it comes to a point where um, it might be your mindset is, well, I'm always thinking about, you know, gross mindset or, um, you know, this idea of task relevant uh, maturity, which is uh, applying the the appropriate style to the
0: situation. Mm. i think you know andy grove good managers manage people how they need to be managed and so this is like okay management Mm -hmm. varies. but then it gets even more it's like okay well there are let's just call it external and internal factors and if the so sometimes the external factors are really against you like i had extraordinarily hectic last week like so hectic that i didn't realize it was hectic but that you know so the busier things get normally the less self-awareness i have and it was so hectic that I wasn't aware things were hectic. It took me until it's like Monday to figure it out. Yeah. And I and I went to a wedding on Friday and I was like telling people I was just so tired. And, and I was like, how can you not know this? And so I suppose what I'm trying to get to is with somebody who I think, for instance, doesn't do good quality work. And if the external environment is hectic as, I'm probably not a good manager. I'm like, I'm too busy. I don't have time for you, you know, <laughs> and this is the idea, I suppose, in the West, you're more uncovering your personality and figuring out who you are and being authentic. And in the East, your personality is more forged, built. So if you're in Japan, they would say, well, how's Duncan around so-and-so? Duncan around person A is different to Duncan around person B. So Duncan's around person C. As mm. opposed to Duncan is this way. And I think that's a much better calculation. So for instance, i have been in a bad mood. And if it's my best friend I'm looking seeing, I'll get in a good mood and I'll catch up. And I can be in a good mood. And if it's my least favorite person, I'm catching up with them, I'll get into a bad mood. And so the, the friend that I like the most says something, great idea, hilarious, funny. Person I don't like says something, stupid, you know, what are you saying, dum-dum? You know, and it's the same thing. And so to me, this is like a whoa. There are not just optimal management styles, there is how you change because of your environment. <laughs> yeah. From being good to bad in some respects. Right, right. Um, but coming back to
1: this idea of so. You know you're you're so far down the rabbit hole you don't even realize it yourself, uh, um, and I can relate to that. And it just reminds me of emotional intelligence, and one of the the best frameworks that I came across to help like simplify this is, you, you can boil it down into you know four states. One which goes across whether you are looking at the self internally or socially, which is externally, and there's recognition and regulation. So I think this is. The, the first quartile which is are you self-aware you know do you have self-awareness of your own emotional state um, and how you are um, I think acting in that um, in that position towards you know your external environment and then are you self-regulating you can't do that without self-awareness and so this kind of like speaks to this this situation where like similar to you, Duncan, I, I, I've been kind of like blinkers on for the last month on something that I'm working towards um, you know, professionally. And I haven't been able properly to pull myself back until that was done mm. and really check in on myself in terms of like, how have I been regulating myself, but also mm. what awareness did I bring to that?
0: Mm. Well, I think we should try to introduce these five different styles as a framework through which you can talk about things. And then maybe we should talk about when we have perhaps exhibited all the different styles. <laughs> and not just when I was young and an early manager, I did the bad things and now I only do good stuff. Um, all right, so first of all is like caring or love and warmth. No one cares how much you know but they know how much you care. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, so as a teacher, um, you know, you need to build a relationship uh, with students and then that's stuff to listen to you. And I think same with people at work. You don't have to be best friends, but if you don't have any friendliness or relationship, it's not gonna to work too well. So the mm. first variable is, do you have a relationship or caring? Um, and if you don't have one, it's gonna be much harder to be a good m- manager. And the other one is like, do you have boundaries or not? And then the third one, your variable is, do you allow the space for people to make mistakes as in mistakes are a good thing? It makes an opportunity to learn or do you not mm. allow mistakes to be occurring mm. um and so to me out of this you get neglectful which is you don't care and you have no boundaries authoritarian you don't care but you have high boundaries you do care but no boundaries permissive you do care high boundaries authoritative you do care high boundaries but you don't allow people to make mistakes helicopter oh. and from my perspective um I hope that I, mean, I suppose that honestly, like, okay, I have gotten to a point, and this is kind of when you know, um, let's say you know, radical candor, not ruinous empathy, ruinous empathy done untreated leads to not caring. Do you know what I mean, because you just honestly don't like that person, I think. <laughs> and so for, for, for me, you should have told someone that their work performance isn't up to scratch or something before you get to the point where you don't care. Um, and I've definitely done that. So, unfortunately, I've gotten to the bad buckets. But, James, do you have any comments about the styles? So, I mean, all
1: of this kind of stuff, you know, being brought together. And I love your little add on there with helicopter parenting. We'll get into that later on. Um, well, but helicopter I, yeah, managing. Helicopter
0: managing. Yeah, all parents. You know,
1: yeah. Well, yeah. absolutely. No, we are no about management
0: bad. styles, but yeah, go on.
1: But, like, okay, so you've got care and you've got boundaries. And,. For me, whether it is in the parenting world or the, um, the management world, I, for, I, pl- I place a, 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 high, a higher value on care. Because I believe without care, and in this case, the other person feeling like you have their best interests at heart, you can't build a level of trust or a long standing prosperous relationship with that person. Mm. Like I on, I honestly feel, you know, when you're setting boundaries, if you're, you know, putting in high boundaries, and you're coming across with, in this case, low love and warmth or care, you're coming across as authoritarian. Mm. And that, to me, is a recipe for either like exiting the relationship or wanting to rebel
0: against it. Mm. Yeah, I think, the, so maybe like, you call, so we call this love, warmth and care are sort of, possibly is it possibly not. So let's just say that there are calm times and then you know, we know, they call them peacetime CEOs and wartime. War time, war time CEOs. peace time. Yeah, yeah. peacetime. So there's peacetimes and war times at work, right? And hopefully wartime is not all the time. <laughs> but wartime <laughs> is probably more than zero percent of the time. I'm gonna say, honestly, between 10 and 50% of my year is wartime. And that's just because I think there's too much going on. In wartime, you don't or I don't feel that I have as much time to be able to do the love and warmth thing. It's kind of like we have a 10 out of 10 crisis. We have to put out the fire now or else it burns everything down. And so you can go from high love and warmth to low love and warmth. And often in those times, you're moving very fast. So, you know, that Rome was a Republic unless they were being attacked and then they gave the power to the one person and then Caesar, you know, never gave it back sort of thing. Right. (laughs) And so in terms of, uh, War, if you want to call it that, low warmth and high limits and boundaries might well be the case in so authoritarian. And so to me, I'm not saying it's optimal, but like I definitely have at times been authoritarian. Mm. Um, Maybe there is a point where it's optimal if it's the only choice, because otherwise death, but maybe only acceptable under wartime circumstances. Mm. And Mm. even then, not necessarily optimal.
1: Well, so to me, this is really how do you distinguish between authoritarian? And authoritative, right? Because as far as this um, this framework is concerned, one comes with love and warmth; the other one doesn't. And so, sure, you could reduce that down to the simplest layer, which is all right. So it's wartime. Like, put your um, your cozies and your ke- teacups away. Like, we're we're going to like you know go into battle on this thing, and I don't care how you feel about it. Like, we have got to get this done. Mm. Or authoritative might be that. You know, it's the same battle that we need to fight, but with the collective understanding that we're all fighting this thing together. And while you can, I guess, express a form of consideration for this going to be, you know, very demanding, very hard on, you know, a lot of people if you have to go in and fight for something, That I, I believe you can still exude the semblance that you... Care enough about this being difficult for other people, even though you just got to get this done, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. Yeah, look, I think it's possible. So basically, you, you explain that. So to me, of course, your external environment affects you. One of the, one of the frameworks I have is like if, if you take like, I don't know, zero, one, two, three hits, I'll be able to dampen, f- you know, four, five hits, neutral, six, seven, inflame. So at some point, you, the, the amount of pressure on you. You can, mm-hmm. you know, move from dealing with it well, self-regulation, you know, you know, cool, calm, collected to ah, come me, everything's me, everything's bad, right? Um, and it might only be momentary. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so I think it's always optimal. But let me just say, like, look, normally we'd be having a slower process and we'd be getting more, you know, input from different people. <clears throat> but if you have got like a hardcore deadline, Jane, and yeah, you found something, yeah, yeah. Good, you just go like, no, Okay, quickly, people, bang, decision, crack, you know? Uh, yeah. And so to me, there are probably times when authoritarian makes sense, but it's got to be probably explained that you're switching from authoritative to authoritarian. Not just, mm. today Duncan is authoritarian, you know? And tomorrow yeah. he's neglectful, and then the next day he's permissive, and the next day he's authoritative, and the other day after that he's helicopter. You know? That kind of erraticness isn't something that I think anybody would enjoy. Um, and so, to me, there are places, but it's like only if you explain it. But then, yeah, mm.
1: yeah. So, I mean, like one really interesting anecdote around this idea of like how do you switch from authoritative to authoritarian? Um, I actually have a really um, funny anecdote with my children. So, the example, like if it's like, this like, just going off your um, your idea, Duncan, that you can take one to five hits, uh, but like seven to ten, you're
0: just like. You know, you're seeing red, so to speak. Well, you still um, go from dampening to inflaming. So a heat yeah. comes in, you take yeah. it, and then you, t- you know. So at some point, I, I've seen it, it happens with almost everybody. But yeah, for me, for sure, too. Yeah.
1: So, so I'm, I'm not, um, presuming I know how you change your style between one to seven. But let's just say between seven and 10, you go straight to authoritarian and like, just like, ah! Um, what I, what I observe in, um, my six year old, and I think it's fair to say this is fairly common in the human species is, you know, for example, um, Chloe, my four year old will be in the living room singing, and she'll just be like, la, 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 like, just just having a, a grand old time, and she'll be singing for about five minutes straight. And then just like that, Izzy will just go straight to 10 and just like, Chloe, can you stop that? Singing? Mm. And, and it, you just see her approach, um, like, absolutely flipped. And so, as soon as that uh, moment comes in, I, you know, I, I asked Chloe to just pause for a moment and I asked Izzy, like, what's going on? What's happening for you to make you suddenly want to yell at it? And she says, I thought that I could just ignore it for <laughs> and wait for it to finish, but then it became so frustrating I couldn't handle it anymore. And so, my suggestion to her was, like, do you think there was a point in which you could approach this more, you know, collected in your emotions to get her to stop this sooner on? And so this goes back to this idea of ruinous empathy. And that is, I feel like as managers, sometimes we feel too hesitant to address a situation before it becomes that 10 out of 10. All Mm. right, hand down too late to get this, you know, um, like warm, fuzzy feeling kind of approach. We got to do this. And I feel like sometimes, that's an easier approach, or at least it's something that people are too hesitant to address beforehand, yeah. if that makes sense.
0: So to me, um, if you're looking about these management styles for this, that would be, you know, bit, but I'd say you're being permissive. So you have high yeah. warmth with no boundaries, and then you go from yes. permissive to low warmth with high boundaries, authoritarian, like snapping yes. your fingers, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so then the person doesn't see it coming, you know, and that's another Kim yes. Scott quote, uh, no feedback should come as a surprise. Or no, so in formal reviews, uh, um, you know, like whatever, every six months, they should be surprised. Because if it is, in the intervening six months between your last review, you've not been saying anything. And so to me, that's, that's probable, but I think you should always want to find bonds on ego social. So it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think that probably everyone is, to some degree, all five of these styles. And obviously, these are not the only five styles. But not necessarily that you're aware Of even which style you are, (laughs) (laughs) and that some of these things are external environment because you're in wartime. Some of them are external environment because you've just really lost confidence in somebody's workability. Some of them are, you know, whatever. You know, uh, you know. So as an example, like helicopter. To me, I used to think good managers are good helpers of direct reports. Now I think good managers are the best helpers at helping direct reports help themselves. So and helicopter doesn't allow someone to make mistakes. That's helping by one definition. A good helper, authoritative, allows a safe environment, psychological safety, where mistakes are viewed as opportunities to grow, not looked down upon. Um, and so therefore, you're not stopping them from learning, robbing them of that opportunity. And so it's just interesting. You probably should be authoritative the vast majority of the time, but there's probably times where each of the other ones makes sense. Mm. So
1: so this style, which where... Um we're, we're using helicopter parenting or helicopter managing to to label, I'm guessing is, as you described it, high love and warmth and super high limits and boundaries, if, that, if that's right. And uh, so... No, no, so
0: no. It, there's limits and boundaries, but there's a different one. That's like this saying what not to do. Helicopter is not allowing mistakes to happen. So one of the things yeah. is like you're hovering over your kid and if they fall, you know, you don't even let them fall. Or if they're having a discussion with another kid and it's not necessarily going great. You just sweep them up quickly sort of thing. So you're not yeah. allowing them to operate by themselves. You're hovering over to make sure everything's going to be okay the whole time. So to me, yeah. the main variable I have is that you don't allow them to make mistakes. Okay, so
1: my, my, the way I describe helicopter parenting, it's, like it's, yeah, it's similar to this idea of you don't allow them to make mistakes, but you're basically telling them what to do, when to do and how to do all the time. So, you, so by doing that, it it's not allowing them to have the opportunity to figure stuff out
0: for themselves. Or make a mistake. That's an inverse way of saying they're not making their own decisions, which could be the wrong decision. You're guiding them to make your thoughts of the right decision. Does that make sense? So the inverse it, it, of telling it, them what to do is not allowing them to make decisions. It, it, it does make sense. I would say um,
1: that's dancing on the edge of snowplow management slash parenting, which we could also talk about. But when I think of helicopter parenting, I think I'll, Parents who are just like forcefully making their child sit down and do their homework, and watching over their shoulder as they do it to make sure that they do it. Um, parents who, when they get um, you know their car- child's report card, they will talk to their child and their teacher, and they'll sit down in a room and they'll make sure everyone understands why the you know this needs to change. Like really over inserting themselves on the child's or the direct um, you know learning journey or development journey. Um, snowflower parenting, as you um, have already kind of pointed out, this idea of not allowing to make mistakes goes one step further and removing obstacles. So, for example, if you want your child to succeed as a snowflower parent, your belief is they need to get in the top class, they need to get into the top sporting team, they need to get into the top university. And so, instead of trusting your child, to follow their own path or to find their own way, so to speak, you will take the initiative in ensuring that they get into these, um,
0: opportunities, so to speak. Hmm. I mean, if we, if we bring it back to the management styles, some early managers, I think a lot of early managers, uh, often fall into the permissive, which is they care. And you know, they have love and warmth, but they don't have boundaries. So that sometimes they don't know the boundaries cause you just, you haven't learned them yet. Other times yeah. you do, but you struggle to say them and you just say them in a positive some way cause the positive some rules make a positive some ecosystem and everyone wins. And then the other one is that they are also a helicopter. So they're, they're hovering around and not, you know, helping too much, like helping to yeah. a fault for, to where that person isn't, you know, the best at growing themselves or able to let, learn from making mistakes. Uh, and so to me, once I had this language to talk about, you can start to talk about it. So I'm like, hey, how do you think you've been as a manager to someone? Or how do you think I've been? And this is the beginning. You're like, oh, okay. I think I was a bit permissive, Jane. Okay. And I also was probably mm. a bit helicopter here. Cool. Was that optimal? And I'd say sometimes when there's someone's brand new and if they're junior, you want to be a bit helicopter because it's kind of like they've got training wheels on. But at some point... You stop helicoptering around and helping them the whole time watching and take the yeah. training wheels off. And so to me, it's really interesting. Um, this, so I didn't, I didn't have styles or language to talk about different types of managing. I just thought there were good managers and bad managers. You know? And what does that mean? Oh, someone's a people person or something, right? And then the next level was like, okay, good managers, manage people, how they you managed. Okay, what does that mean? Different every time. And this is like another lens. Okay, well, what are some different management styles? Mm. Okay, how have I been and have I exhibited all of these five? And there are more than five. This is just one me see, right? Yeah. Sure. But it's, I found extraordinarily valuable tool to start to get inside on yourself and others.
1: Yeah. So um, at the start, we talked about very briefly a uh, humble fellow called Andy Grove. Mm. So for anyone who hasn't been able to come across him in the past, he wrote a seminal book, at least in my opinion. Called high output management, and he talks about this. I feel, um, you know, almost serendipitously, which is when it comes to your management style, um, you know, he would posit that there is no one management style, but it is in the ability to assess the appropriate level of involvement that a manager has in their direct at a particular point in time. This is what they coin. Task-relevant maturity, and what I find most interesting is that the the lowest level, the lowest rung, um, of task-relevant maturity of the support in it translates into what you could almost describe as helicopter managing, which is providing highly structured, very task-oriented, uh, very task-oriented. Um, you know, delegation of what, when and how. Like you are almost spelling out to the letter what you would like this person to do and how they should do it. And I think, um, you know, that definitely has its merits, especially when you're hiring anyone new. I feel like, you know, you can be really either default trusting and just let this person take ownership of their role or default non-trusting and allow this person to show you what level they're able to operate at. But if you're at... The lowest level of task relevant maturity, then it is actually a good reason to suggest that helicopter managing has mm. its merits, at yep. least initially.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. One of the ways I look at it is you want to provide the minimum amount of support that allows someone to succeed. There are two types of times peacetime and wartime, or no time pressure and time pressure, right? Mm. So if it's just no time pressure, if you provide someone with not enough support that they can't succeed, that's not good for anybody. Yeah if you provide them the minimum amount, then they probably maximize their amount of learning. If you provide them with too much support, you take away time from you that you could be doing something else and you rob them of the opportunity to grow or to learn, which is yeah. not good. But if it's if it's time pressure, then just get it done. <laughs> you know. And if you're constantly in time pressure, well, you're not managing yourself or your business as well as you probably should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to me, it's really interesting. Yeah, you should be the helicopter at some points, I think. But your goal, I think, is to get to be authoritative the vast majority of the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So he talks about you go up the rung. So the next level up is individual oriented, emphasis on two-way communication and just providing that support and mutual reasoning. So you're no longer delegating specific individual tasks. you're just addressing them as a person and how they're operating. Uh, and then the highest is you'll really just have minimal involvement, ensuring you're aligned on the objectives and things are on track, so to speak. Um, but across all of the different stages, you are constantly monitoring and overseeing and ensuring that you know these things are being done in the right way and to your point as a manager i, I think what you said what you want to provide the minimal level of support to get the maximum output from the direct um uh, employee and so that's not to say that like the lowest level of um trm is bad it's what's just simply make our uh, task relevant maturity sorry yeah So uh, I can't be bothered saying that every time. (laughs)
0: Tiara, I'm so over acronyms, but go on, yeah.
1: No, no, it's fair. Like I get pulled up on it all the time. I I really should stop doing it. Uh, It's not helpful for anyone. Um, Mm, Exactly. (laughs) So, but the idea is you don't want to stay in the lower level when you can be allowing this person to operate at one of the higher rungs, if that's Mm. where they're, if if they're ready to do that.
0: Mm. I mean, you look at it this way. If you helicopter too much, you're pushing them down from one of the higher rungs. You're not allowing them to be there, right? Yeah. If you don't helicopter enough, they can't even be any rung. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so it's this balance, like the sort of happy medium. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that you should talk about permissive. Um, so over time, so in open societies, the law is never done. It's always updating. You know, you can add a new one on whatever the Religious Discrimination Act in Australia, which uh, yeah, I didn't think was a great idea, but anyways. Uh, <clears throat> cool. So, you over time recognize things and then you learn more. So I suppose in some respects, you're almost always permissive in certain areas because you kind of are hopefully growing constantly. And even if you're not, the world is going to change. So even if you're somehow perfect for it right now, you're not perfect for it in you know, the metaphorical tomorrow. You've got to update, right? And so to me, one of the biggest things and ways I've found to do authoritative or authoritarian is to be able to articulate limits and boundaries properly. Um, and one of the best ways for that is principles in the way that Ray Dalio does. And so to me, one of, them, I think, the big differences between sort of new and experienced managers is the number of principles that they can articulate and how they can do it in a positive some way. Because I don't know that there's like a list, like 10 commandments. I just don't think it's possible. It's kind of this small thing here, there and everywhere. And so to me, this is one of the, one of the things I think one should be doing constantly. You always live in an ecosystem make that ecosystem as positive sum as possible. One of the core strategies I have for that is to have as many positive sum principles as possible. Positive sum principles, stop the thing you want whilst interfering with superordinate goods as in, little as possible. Um, and this is just tough. I, I find it tough, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't wanna just like beat on the same drum, but um, in his book, High Output Management, <laughs> he talks, he talks about,
0: he's super relevant. Have you just read it, it recently? Is this
1: why you're banging on about it? Um, yes, I read it. I reread it uh, late last year. Okay, um, cool. I, I, so, well, so, I read so, it and, like
0: five years ago and I can't remember much, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, as, as my role as a manager inside my company, I have a yeah. new manager reporting to me and this is her first time as a manager. And so I said, right, you and I, we're going to read High put Management Together because cool. I believe there's a lot in there um, that will help. It, it, it's a great book. But um, so he talks about what he calls modes of control. And there's, um, there's three basic modes. So there is, um, well, again, it's, it's a really cool two-by-two um, two framework. But there's basically, there's free market, contractual obligations, and then cultural values. And so basically, it goes from the top left, which is when you um, have high self-interest um, and then low um, care of like, like external and environmental factors then free market actually works really well. If everyone works in their own self-interest, then mm. that's great because then you'll ensure that you get the most efficient um, you know, market forces working in everyone's favor. Mm. Um, when you have group interests, however, you need contractual obligations. Now, why I'm getting to the point of what you're making here is that when you have group interests and high um, you know, environmental uh, factors, you need strong cultural values. And cultural values are when you have uh, universally understood um, values, methods, and objectives. And I think that's where this idea of, well, how can we move from being overly authoritative or maybe in other ways, what is the optimal way of setting limits and boundaries, I think, is by setting the right culture in an organization as a leader.
0: I'm we to go on this one. Like, I don't know there is such a thing as setting the right culture. And to me, culture should always be updated. Just like in an yeah. open society, the law is never done. So there's no such thing as setting a right culture to me in that it's set. So maybe that's the yeah. word that I'm jumping out at. To me, there should be cultural uniformity in certain areas. So in certain areas, uniformity is a feature. And there should be cultural diversity in other areas. So in certain areas, diversity is a feature. We don't want diversity in people that are nice people and people that are bullies. No bullies. Do you know mean? Yeah. But... People that have, I don't know, a different, like, you know, I don't know, political spectrum, I think, you know, can be good, as long as they're willing to listen to each other. Um, Mm. And so, to me, those things don't necessarily define this. The the way that I think culture is normally talked to is you have a strong culture, everyone knows it, and everyone can state the same, like, you know, 10 principles or whatever, right? And from my perspective, that's not good. I think you see many companies that move fast and break things in, in Facebook or whatever else it is, you know? The early stuff, which was in Uber, you know, getting to be bad, and so to me, I'm not saying that's what James was saying, but a strong culture is normally something which is defined and not moving, you know? Uh, and what yeah. I would say is, I think a good culture has the areas that, you know, you, you need to be, but that has diversity in others and is constantly updating. Um, and if everyone is kind of figuring out their own, like, you know, just because there are different management styles here doesn't mean that that means that everyone, like you're authoritative, is one way to be authoritative. Mm. Uh, so mm. to me, yeah, it's like, this is just a lens, that, yeah. a, and a really useful lens to help discuss things with people. So now I'll be discussing with them. What do you think about this? And so, without this lens in my or, or framework, I was I was I was able to do, to explain and understand less personally. I, th- I think maybe a, a, one way to explain it would be
1: similar to um, the idea that planning is everything, a plan is nothing. Right, a, a set of cultural values is nothing, but constantly assessing and updating and investing in your company's culture is everything because it might be through that lens, you know, one day is don't be evil. The next day is, you know, it's, it's something else entirely or move fast and break things and then move fast with scale. But I think, you know, I think it's definitely fair to say like you shouldn't, well, it's not optimal to, just establish or decide on a fixed set of cultural values and then let that just be um, the blueprint of the way you operate at Infinite. I think mm. it is something that is constantly evolving because I like to, to think of organizations as a proxy for like, um, a human life band. When organizations first start off, they're much like a human baby, completely helpless days away from death, if they're not constantly, um, you know, fed and nurtured. And then they go through similar phases of where they grow up to be this childlike state where they can walk on their own two feet, but they still need constant guidance, constant, um, you know, monitoring and, and so on. And then when you think about, you know, larger enterprise you think of maybe something like a, you know, some geriatric who's just old and kind of like going off into the sunset, <laughs> um, but the culture is much like an individual's, um, you know, set of beliefs, values, and identity evolves over that time. So, um, And it's the same thing with how you operate as a manager with the people inside the organization. I think um, they talk about, you know, when you're in a seriously, seriously volatile and uncertain environment, much like a startup, um, people arguably would need more structure or more of a authoritarian or maybe authoritative um, approach. But when you get to be more established, maybe you can talk through this, having gone through this yourself, Duncan, that when you have stronger cultural values in place and stronger um, you know, operations as a business, you can move more towards, I don't know if it's right to say permissive, but something where you give more power and autonomy to the people in the organization rather than it all come from the top down.
0: Yeah, this is a really good point. Um, so I think James called it task-relevant maturity. Is that right, task-relevant maturity? Yeah, um, come on! You read it five years ago. Got it. Yeah, no, I remember every word. Um, I say that what should happen as people become more, you know, mature at work or at court, that is that they get more and more autonomy. Yeah. I.e., that the boundaries and limits that they have get lower and lower. Right, and so that eventually you just don't know what they're doing, and you trust that it's good. Um, so to me, the point is to have as many people with no rules as possible, but that you don't start with no rules. You start with lots of rules and the rules are slowly lowered as you build trust. In the beginning, I think it's mainly the manager's job to build trust, trust, but verify as an example, but that the onus of whose job it is to build trust shifts to the direct report. How do you do this? You post updates whenever it makes sense, not every single minute, like, you know, update, 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 and not too infrequently that build trust. So it's like, well, if I have to tell you how to build trust, you can't build trust make sense like your job is to figure out how to build trust with me and so this means that this might mean that you're a permissive manager which is good jerry you know I mean? so there's like but this is the, so what we'll call that the, the, what they're doing like limits of boundaries are so, uh, limits and boundaries is different there's more of an agreed upon constantly evolving set of principles that make the world more positive some but that i am knowing what somebody's doing is a different kettle of fish right so I want to get to the point where I don't need to know anything about what you're doing. And that happens because trust has been built, starting initially by me building it, but mainly finished by you cultivating it. Mm. And th- that there is an overriding set of principles and boundaries that we operate within, which mean that no one person can kill the company, if that makes yep. sense. So one of the things yep. I talk about in this is getting is talking about playpens. So a playpen is a place that you set up with boundaries and stuff, where someone can't hurt others or themselves and if they can't let them do what they want so for instance someone can't just get the bank account and take all the money you know <laughs> or they can't publish any content at ebola without it going through plagiarism checks so that the, so that it should not be possible for someone to have plagiarized as an example mm. yeah
1: yeah so um it, it this is quite poetic at least for me in this idea of looking at your role as the manager through the lens of initially it's on me to create as clear a set of boundaries or an environment for you to operate and ultimately succeed in but then it's on you to start building that trust for me to be able to be certain that you like basically have got this and i i feel like that is a um a like there's a high correlation between that and the role of a parent because I feel um, hmm. very strongly about toddler the idea to that toddler to adult, you're not raising a child; you're trying to raise the adult. And the idea is like my role as the parent is to get us to a point. Now you're 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 obviously restricted by your biological um, ability to age, <laughs> but I wanted to still get you to this point where you are not just um, you know autonomous and independent, but you're at a point where now you are a fully functioning and uh, you know, prosperous human being. And I feel like that's a really good proxy for this idea of, well, I'm as a manager bringing on new directs and you know it's this very early stage where they need clear boundaries in terms of how to succeed in this new environment. But I wanna get them to a point where they're now the ones who can navigate that on their own as mm. soon as possible.
0: I and mean, it's this way. There are always limits and boundaries. It's just that in the beginning, you need to set them, but yep. you transfer slowly responsibility from who sets them to them and they can mm-hmm. self-regulate in a way. Because somebody who... So, this is, so I want to make people that there are no rules for. Well, that's not external rules, Jane. They've got, they're have got able to run their own internal rules in a way that is positive. Side. Ultimately, every single person that is hired, you want to increase the amount of decisions a business can make, not decrease because if you have to make decisions for them. Right? And so you ultimately need to be allowing people the percentage of decisions they make or autonomy they have to go from very small to 100% ideally, right? Now, someone's yep. you wanted a second opinion on, for sure. But that's not actually being a, you know, permissive manager as an example with no limits and boundaries. There are limits and boundaries. You're just not coming up with them and regulating them because no limits and boundaries is probably not good. mmm. But you don't have to be the almighty, you know, omnipotent, you know, manager, you know, it's not possible. And so they're there and everyone's helping, you know, but some people that are newer, you know, are less able to help. So it's interesting. So you're not actually permissive. You're just authoritative without needing to know what's going on. (laughs) I don't know if that works.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, like maybe it's, you know, the um, I don't know if it's a um, a bias or a fallacy where, you know, when you buy a red Porsche, you see red Porsches everywhere. Mm. Um, but I see this distinction between, um, you know, caring and empathy and either willingness to confront directly, which is radical candor, or in this case, putting in limits and boundaries. And by what I mean by the fact that I see this everywhere, is I also pick this up when i hear jordan peterson talk about the role the the, the um the uh, like the metaphorical i can't think of the right word the medical, metaphorical role of the mother and the father so what he says is that the mother is the nurturer because as soon as the child is born she's int- instantly biologically attached to it but for the father um his bond builds over ongoing interaction and the father's role, again, overly generalizing, um, is in addition to nurturing and caring for the child, is to push them into the world, push them into being the best possible person they can be. And so this duality of mother-father role is almost captured in the idea of a, what- So a good, you
0: should mention that it's obviously an oversimplification. This is not anything, yeah. yeah, it's a, oh, massive, yeah, generalization. a yeah. massive generalization.
1: Massive generalization and abstraction of what it's like to be a, a yeah. parent, of yeah. either um you know persuasion but it's this idea of um you know as a child or as a direct i think the optimal um way of being led or managed is having this semblance of someone who cares deeply for me or my success mm. and someone who's willing to push me whether it's just outside that zone of comfort or at least gives me the um the, the, the infrastructure for me to succeed in, if that
0: makes sense. Yeah, I think, so. So, so like, I think that a helicopter manager can be good if someone's brand new and they need help, or even if they're not brand new, you know, you're giving them the minimum of help mm. to succeed. So th- there is a place for it, right? Yeah. I think authoritarian, which is low warmth, high boundaries can be good in a wartime, right? I think that there are two types of authoritative, which is meant to be care, you know, love warmth and higher boundaries beginning where you're the if you're the manager the main person figuring out their boundaries but then there's the one where you've given responsibility or the person has built trust with you to the point where you are comfortable with them setting their own limits and boundaries so you're not permissive because there are no limits and boundaries as in you're letting them do something that doesn't make sense or get away with you know unsavory behavior you're just no longer needing to be the one policing it aka regulating it And so to me, then the final one is that neglect, low that's probably when things have gotten to a point where maybe that person shouldn't be working anymore. Maybe you shouldn't be working anymore. If you're feeling neglectful about work, like you don't care anymore, should you be there? If you're feeling neglectful about a person, should they be there? You know, if you're feeling, you know, or should you have a chat to try to build build the relationship? Yeah. Mm.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, like when you get to this um, neglectful zone, uh, I can't remember uh, what the critical, radical candor equivalent was something about being like in the in this house. No no no. Ruinous empathy is high care low boundaries. So ruinous yeah. empathy is like I care for you but I'm not willing to confront you directly. There, I don't care about you and I'm not going to confront you directly about it. And that I, and that's like really bad. <laughs> um, and I think you, you know when you're in that position like the funny thing about that is you can like you can't map radical candor and this parenting style over one-to-one because you can have high limits and boundaries and you can not care about a person or be willing to confront them directly. So I think there's this idea of, all right, neglectful parenting is not the same as the neglectful manager. If you're a neglectful manager, you might just be barking orders, telling them, you know, you need to, you know, get this report to me by Friday kind of thing um without there being any real direction for um the individual um mm-hmm. what what i think is really like it, it's probably the most challenging thing is as a parent i can see my child grow and develop almost not overnight but like in fundamental ways like i can see how parenting in a helicopter way being very very clear or low task relevant maturity to use that that um to use that example i can see where that is no longer required because to use um the example of you know teaching them to ride a bike it's not like they have no idea about the dangers of riding without a helmet and you just have to tell them you need to wear a helmet it's they've had a couple of falls now so that they can figure it out on their own The the Mm. difficult, the challenge is figuring out when someone at work has that level of awareness that you can start to evolve the way in which you work with them.
0: Mm. Okay, I mean, if I sort of think about this, um, maybe this does fit more with parenting than managing. (laughs) But like, you know, as a beginning manager, I did not understand boundaries properly. Um, And if I did, I was actually not necessarily confident enough to say them in a positive some way, so you'd know it, you wouldn't say it, and you'd wait, 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 wait. And as a beginning manager, I wanted to help, I thought the best manager was the best helper, not the best manager was the best person at helping them help themselves. So that was helicopter. So it's probably a combination of permissive and helicopter. And then at times when the external environment is in wartime mode, I definitely can get into authoritarian mode. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to believe that I'm authoritative most of the time <laughs> when I sort of should be. And, so, and this is good. And so I think... The main the main benefit I found from this framework and having this is being able to talk about yourself at certain times. Like, okay, did I end up in authoritarian? Okay, well, was it optimal? Probably not. Did the external environment part was it a large consideration as to why that occurred? Probably. Okay, was I aware that the external environment was in wartime mode? Not necessarily, because mm-hmm. you just get caught up in it so quickly. It's it's mm. it's it's, a, it's weird. Um, and so then you can have that discussion with people. Like they can talk to you about it and you're like, ah, oh, okay, get it. Or it can be like, hey, look, I know that, you know, say high, slow, fire, fast, you know, whatever, right? And then just do the exact opposite of that, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be rudenessly empathetic. I'm going to be radically candorous and then just be rudenessly empathetic, you know? Um, yeah. And so to me, these are those are frameworks that are similar to, you know, rudeness empathy is permissive and, and you know, um, uh, you know, Radical candor is authoritative, and then whatever being a douchebag is authoritarian, and not saying anything is just neglectful, you know. Yeah. And so to me, it's just great ways to talk to people. That's just the main win I found here. It's not the only way. You're not. You're not. that you know, everyone's like. Again, like I think I'm probably all of these. <laughs> and I, I've been yeah. neglectful when I've gotten to a point where I've just given up it's on somebody. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: So, so um, I'm really trying to like. Just trying doing a better way of distinguishing between authoritative and authoritarian, and so I'm I'm coming up with a couple of models or at least ways in which I think it might be helpful, because you know the idea of there being merit for authoritarian versus authoritative I think is an interesting one. So the first idea I have is with authoritarian, there's only one way of communication, and that's top down. It's like orders come from the top. We need to do this. Like rally the truth, we're going into Bombay or whatever. Where authoritative, it might be the same semblance of this is what we need to do. This is that this is the hill we need to take over. But there's a the two-way dialogue in terms of maybe how that will happen, or in terms of like considerations into into um, the approach. Mm. The other one that I really like is, are you looking to connect or are you looking to control? Right. If, if trust is completely gone, then control might be necessary mm. and it's just really just about comp- like taking over the situation. But if connection is... And, and that might be short-term thinking and it might be relevant because we're in a war, we need to just think about here and now, otherwise we're dead. But if it was more long term thinking, and you're thinking more like, you know, longitudinal, and it was trust that you wanted to build, then you should try and look at how are you connecting while being authoritative.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think i um, well, the main difference to me is just does someone know you care or not, just because you try to care doesn't mean that they register yeah. uh, it's between authoritative and authoritarian, because it's high value. Like, and so to me, not all workplaces are like this, but most workplaces are positive, sum. You're all on the same team, you know, and if we all do well, you need to do well, I can do well. It's not like I do well or you do well. And that might be like an investment, but it can sometimes be that yep. way, you know, zero yep. sum. <laughs> Um But so to me, you're not wanting like a, manage, a, a direct report to not succeed or something. What the hell? Of course you do. You know, that, that helps everybody here, you know? Mm. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily as clearly demonstrated as it should be for oh, people, yeah. you know? Um, oh, no, Absolutely. So to me, like, that you need to build a relationship Um, and relationship is, in many things, it's not like one sort of way to do it. But at the end of it, it's like, okay, someone knows you care and that they've got your best interest at heart. And to me, you know, hopefully, you know, realize you're all on the same team and this team winning is good, right? And it's not necessarily you're winning against the other company because, you know, you can all win. So literally the world is mainly positive sum in a developed, you know, liberal democracy today, not Mm. zero sum. And so... It's just super important to build this. So I say that relationships are the infrastructure upon which communication occurs, and if you're in a knowledge business, communication is everything. If you can't communicate, you are stuffed. And so, no relationship means you want someone won't talk to you if they need something. So, that, you know, small relationship they'll bring you a large, medium relationship they'll bring you a medium, and high relationship they'll bring you anything, but they don't need to. And that's the other side of that street is that they'll listen to you. So sometimes you need someone to listen to you, and so if you've got a strong relationship, they'll listen to you. You've got no relationship, they won't even be like, nah you know, not listening, too busy. And so to me, yeah. that's kind of another, uh, this high relationship strength, low relationship strength, authoritarian versus authoritative. I'm, I am
1: 100% um, with you on the idea that it at least seemed to me entirely, um, well, it just it seemed to me obvious that an organization would always want its employees to succeed. It seemed to me that way. But what I have come to observe anecdotally and in um, you know, literature that I've read, that is not always the case. Now, you can, you can immediately see examples of you know, people who are operating only in their pure self-interest. So they're trying to you know, acquire power or raise through the ranks themselves and they don't care who they step on to get there. But at the same time, you can also emphasize with individuals who might not be feeling truly valued for the work that they do or that they're given the right, um, you know, recognition above others, um, to lose sense of this idea that, you know, an organization's best interest is that you and everyone else in this company succeeds. And so this, um, I think, was really, really, um, you know, told quite well by Randall Stutman. So he run this institution called Admired Leadership, and they interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of leaders and their directs. And they found that there were a whole bunch of things that people wanted that were, you know, on a broad spectrum that like it was, but there was one thing that everybody wanted from that manager. And the one thing was that they all wanted to feel like their manager was rooting for their success. And I think that this gets, well, I I do believe in what I've seen in other companies that I've worked for, this gets lost. Um, quite easily and that people don't feel like that their manager is rooting for their success. And so we, can't, I don't think, well, at least I can't um, leave that to chance or assume that that is explicit in my relationship with my direct. I have to make that explicit by telling, mm. well, not just by saying, look, I'm rooting for you, but by... <laughs> Ensuring word.
0: I know that you've done really everything, but like, no, I'm not rooting for you. Like, just, it's not what I'm doing. You know, you know just listen, like, I am in your corner and I'm here to help, you know, but rooting. Yeah, anyways, go on.
1: But I have to let my actions show that and I have to yeah. let my words show that explicitly, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really good point and something that I've now taken as an implicit yes. But I think when you start, like, I don't know, you, you, you get there and you kind of want to do a good job, or at least I hope you do. And for me, you're worried about doing a good job. And you kind of trying to, I don't know, for want of a better to impress your manager or something. And But I didn't realise, I suppose, at the beginning that they also want you to do a good job, not like, mm, you know, Duncan, not good enough or something, Right course i want you to do a good job because you're on the same team and it's going to help and i suppose now it's just implicit but you want people to succeed you want a good outcome all this other jazz and i don't take it in in my opinion as some sort of or maybe optional um you you know if if that's not an absolute given now now whether or not you, you have to do some stuff to demonstrate it but it's also the underlying assumption you know it's not just like oh maybe so to me yeah it's it's just a given, but I didn't. I didn't realize it at the start, but it now treated as a given.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, dude. It's probably time for us to wrap Sorry. this all up in, in a in a in a lovely bow. You want to go? All right. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna try. Oh, got me to so,
0: Yeah.
1: Right, I'll I'll give it a step. So, we're, when we're, when we're exploring different styles of management, looking at how one can potentially approach uh, parenting styles can be helpful. So this is one very abstracted, generalized model of parents who exude either low or high warmth and care, um, as well as low or high limits and boundaries. And so you get the four main um, styles, which is permissive, neglectful, authoritative, or authoritarian. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then Duncan's added added on of helicopter parenting, which I thought was also, um, you know, had its utilities. for me, it, it it comes back to understanding where you are on your journey with your direct. At the very beginning, I I think task relevant maturity helps to explain that your relationship evolves over time based on their set of competencies and um, you know the, the 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 level of trust and relationship that you have established. So initially, there is a um, a world in which helicopter parenting or highly, um, you know, directive style of management makes sense. But it's also in the manager's best interest, I think, to ensure that you are uh, involved at the lowest possible level, providing the least amount of support while ensuring that they are able to produce the most amount of uh, output. So moving through these different levels, like I want to. Like I would be raising a child, be raising the next leader, or be raising the adult. And so, kind of what you said, you don't want to help people; you want to help people help themselves. And so, I think about it in such a way that when I when I look at the way in which I parent and what I'm trying to, um, you know, parent towards, I think it's a very similar aspect with the way in which I manage and what I want to create out of the direct that I have, um, you know,
0: in my team as well. Yeah, I'll do a sort of meta-learning. You need to be able to have ways to describe what you're doing and not just good or bad, you know? (laughs) That's probably better than nothing. Um, And so to me, this framework with the five styles, and we've shown that James has said that some of the styles make sense in certain places. So it's not like there's a good one and four bad ones or something. Um, And this allows you to understand more. So the more names or styles you have, the more you can understand the more you can understand, normally the more you can improve. Uh, and so one of the ways that i found often, if I'm trying to improve in an area, like let's just say I want to get better at people management, well then I'll try to help others at people management and then I'll ask every time I say something, well, am I also needing the advice that I think that is useful for that other person? And more often than not, the answer is yes. So they say before you try to ask someone to remove the twig from their eye, try removing the log from yours, i.e. you're often not able to see inside of yourself, you're too close to it, you're missing the wood from the trees. So. To me, obviously, almost all you know jobs are multiplayer games. You're not just by yourself. Some are like an I don't know, author, a teacher can often be quite multi, a single player too. But whether that whether you're managing your manager or your peers or a direct, this is management, right? And to me, getting better at it is like one of the absolute upstream you know fundamentals. And so one of the ways to do that is to have more and more different quote styles from this to be able to use to explain things, and then try to help others and then every time you try to provide advice to somebody else ask if that is also advice that would be good for you and if you're anything like me often the answer is yes and you move <laughs> forward all right thanks very much James E. I will speak to you soon good chatting to you duncan bye